Good morning. My name, oh, that was nice. They don't do that at my church. That's outstanding. Um, I like that. I'm responsive. Should have known that from the worship. Wonderful. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm from Birmingham, and I'm, I'm really excited to be here this morning with you. Uh, uh, at the beginning of Revival, at the beginning of a new series, especially this series, before we get going, wait, is it, am I good now? All right, I'm just going to keep talking. Uh, at the beginning of the series, uh, but I, before we begin, I should probably, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and give you a warning. I, I learned to preach, um, preaching to youth at youth camps, and what I found was if I move very quickly and speak very quickly, they would, they would pay attention. But I've retained that habit a little bit, so I'm going to talk quickly, but it'll be okay. It's going to be fine. You're, it'll be okay. You're gonna, he's at, he's at, Nathan's going to get emails about it. But it's, it's, it's going to be fine. I'm going to talk fast. You'll listen fast. We'll get out fast. It'll all be good. Right? It's going to go. So, I, I, but the truth is, though, the reason I, ke- I keep talking fast is because my life has been changed by Jesus. Right? And so that, that does something to you. Not only that, I, I fell in love with the Bible. And I want to tell you how that happened. I, I met Nathan at, at seminary. Um, and I didn't have what I was told was going to be the ter- stereotypical seminary experience. I was warned by wonderful people, listen, you're going to go to seminary, and because of the intense study, it's just going to squish the spirit out of you. And they, they warned me against it. It's going to be so bl- I did not have that experience. I had the exact opposite experience. Seminary instilled in me a love of the Bible that had, I never knew was possible. Instilled in me uh, the, the beauty of the authority of this book. I, I, unbelievable. And as I fell in love with the book more, guess what happened? I fell in love with Jesus more. And so that's what happened through seminary. I remember the first test I had in seminary. It was a big deal. I hadn't been in school in a while. And so I, I go in, and, and here was the test. The teacher asked us to write down the story of Scripture, and you had 60 minutes to do it. So if you do the math real quick, if you get five minutes to each thing you're going to talk about, you can only talk about 12 things. I spent weeks preparing for this test, trying to figure out what I would say. And what, what I realized through this, what was amazing about this exercise, is that I realized that, that contrary to what I had believed before, the Bible wasn't disconnected stories here and there. The Bible wasn't disjointed and disconnected. It was instead a single story that began in Genesis, ended in Revelation. It starts in a garden, and it ends in a city. It begins with mankind dwelling with God, and it ends with mankind dwelling with God. It was this single narrative, and it wasn't primarily about me, come to find out. It wasn't a self-help book. It was primarily about God. It was theocentric. It was centered on who God is and his actions, and this blew me away. You, you start in the story of Genesis, but where we're headed, it says in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 3, where we're going at the end, it says this. It says, animation. And then this is this. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It begins with us dwelling with God, and it ends with us dwelling with God. Because it's what we were created for. And so to see that the whole story started with us there and where it's going to end, and the rest of it is God's pursuit of us to bring us back to him. The never-ending, always-pursuing, relentless love. That's what this is about. And I was amazed. And all of a sudden, all these things that I've been taught growing up, because I grew up in a great tradition. 
Oh, man, they shove the Bible in you. As one of my professors once said, he said, hey, they shove the Bible in you. You could take it willingly or you could fight it, but it was going in. And he was right. They did. They shoved the Bible. He said, we could be about all manner of sins and they could poke us unawares and Habakkuk might spill out. And that's the kind of tradition I grew up in where they just shoved the Bible in you. And so when they showed me that this was a single story and all those pieces flew into place, I fell in love with the Bible. Not only that, it became like my, I, my, my understanding of how true and real it was grew immensely. Because what I realized was in the first three chapters of Scripture, the first three chapters, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, it answers the great philosophical questions that philosophers have been asking since philosophy began. Where did I come from? You were created by God. What does it mean to be good and live a good life? To be obedient to God. What's wrong with the world? I am. I'm sinful and I'm broken. And that's what's going on in the world. And this overwhelming realization, this thing that people pointed out to me, just, it just changed me. It made me fall in love with this book. This book that tells the story of how I'm created. It tells the story of the fall, of my rebellion against God. And it tells the story of our redemption through Christ and the recreation that will come when God redeems all things. That's what's going on in this book. And as I saw how beautiful it was, it was written by 40-something authors over, uh, authors over a thousand years, but yet it told this one single story of God's work and act. Oh, man, I just became enamored with this book. Now, bad news for you. I think I love Genesis 1 and 2 the most. So I get really excited and I talk fast, but we're going to do this anyway. Genesis chapter 1, let's turn there. If you are in any other book of the Bible but Genesis, go left. You will find it. This is the very, very beginning. Genesis chapter 1. Before we begin reading, while you're turning there, I want to tell you this. The creation story actually is in two parts. Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3 is actually the telling of, of what God has done. And then 2, 4 through the rest of chapter 2, it's kind of a drilling into. Uh, if you notice at 2, 4, your, your Bible, my, my Bible does, your Bible might say something like, this is the generations of. That's a kind of a word that pops up at the beginning of Genesis a lot, a phrase. The single word, and another way of thinking about that is, this is what happened to. So Genesis 1 is going to tell us God created everything. And then beginning in 2, we're going to drill down a little bit, and he's, and he's going to tell us, the author's going to tell us what happened to this world that God created. So as we read this, I want you to watch for something. I want you to watch for some patterns. You're going to see a few patterns in, in, in this that we, as we read through it. Uh, one of the things you're going to notice is that it, it's separated into two sections, right? There's six days of creation, right? But the third day and the sixth day, there's actually two acts. So there's eight acts of creation in this telling. And, and they parallel one another. Also, you're going to notice this. There's a rhythm, there's a rhythm. Look, look for this pattern. God says a thing. It happens. God evaluates the thing. He separates things, and he names things. It doesn't happen on every single day always, but you're going to notice that pattern. I want you to look for it as we read. Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to begin in verse 1. It says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. 
and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit, bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And it was evening and it was morning the third day. And God said, let there be light and expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let, there be, let them be for signs, for seasons, for days, and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanses of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kind. Every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kind, and the livestock according to their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath and life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This story is amazing. It is incredibly fascinating. So when we study Genesis, one of the things that we often begin to ask ourselves is, is what is it? Is Genesis history? Is it, is it uh, science? Is it, is it myth? Is it theology? What is it? And, and all those are great and excellent questions. But this morning, I don't want to talk about that. What I want to talk about that, I, what I want to talk about instead is what we know for sure it is. And that's what this is, that it's beautiful. It's, it is so intricate. The rhythms and the patterns that have gone into the writing of Genesis 1 are unbelievable. It is beautiful. But above all those things, this is what Genesis 1 is. 
It's revelation. If God didn't want you to know about him, we wouldn't know about him. But he has revealed himself to us. And it is fascinating to me that he's revealed himself to us in a book. He's written down so that we can know what this God is like, what he's capable of, what his nature is, and what he is doing. And that's what's happening in this. I love this so much because it tells us so much about who this God is. And it reveals to us what he's doing. So Moses wrote this down, right? Moses possibly collected these stories, but we know that Moses wrote these things down. He wrote down Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible we call the Pentateuch. He wrote them down and collected them stories for the people that were leaving, Israel, uh, leaving Egypt. God's people, the descendants of this man named Abram, this nation that he created, they've been in captivity in Egypt, and, and as they're being led out by Moses, God has rescued them from the most powerful army on earth. They don't even have sharp sticks. They have mighty chariots, and God leads them out from, from underneath the Egyptians. And he leads them to himself, and Moses writes all these things down for them. Why? Because it was really important that they understood that the God that they serve is unparalleled. See, they're coming out of a place that has a bunch of gods. They're coming out of Egypt, and not just Egypt, but all the lands of the time had, all, had many, many gods. And they're coming out of a land where there was a god of the sun that was worshipped. And Moses is saying, do not forget the truth you have always known, that you do not worship the god of the sun, you worship the god who created the sun. You don't worship the false god of the moon, you worship the god who created the moon. You don't worship the false gods of the Nile and of the oceans and of the mountains. You worship the one true God who spoke all of those things into existence. And you need to know that that's who he is. That he is powerful and without parallel. The story will go on to tell us that not even death is a thing that God can't undo. He is that kind of power. And it is important that the people of God know that he has that kind of power. He has the kind of power where his word and his spirit are irresistible and transformative. We see this in Jesus all the time, right? He says to be healed and bones are knit back together. He says to a storm to stop, and it does. God speaks and says, let there be light, and all of a sudden, atoms hurl into existence. His word is irresistible and creative. As a matter of fact, when you read scripture, it's interesting to me that the only thing that doesn't obey God's word is me and you. Actual atoms obey God. Storms obey God. Demons cower and obey God, but not you and me. That's fascinating. And all of this... We're the only ones that don't. Everything else does. He is powerful and creative. And he wants them to be in awe of this God. This God who does these things. And, and I think that we should be in awe of this God. I, I, you know, I wonder sometimes if our busyness doesn't affect our ability to be in awe at God's creation. I, I have an engineering background. So weird things fascinate me, so bear with me. I find it incredibly fascinating that if the angle on two oxygen atoms in a water molecule was one or two degrees different, that there would be no life on this earth. That is amazing to me. Water should amaze us. 
If it didn't expand when it froze, there would be no life on this earth. We should never get over how cool water is. Much less all the other things. Much all the, the scale. There's just stars in this, in this universe that speak to God's grandeur. And we study atoms and molecules and things so tiny that we don't even understand what's happening there. From the smallest thing to the biggest thing in the universe, it speaks to God's awe. But I wonder if sometimes we're so busy we just don't even notice. I wonder if the busyness is, making us, is keeping us from a place where we can consider these things. In Psalms, Psalm 8, the psalmist begins to write. And one of the things that he says as he's, as he's thinking about God, he says this in Psalm 8. Verses 3 and 4. When I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. The psalmist is sitting out and he's, he's staring up at the stars and he's beginning to think. How can the God who placed those stars up there and did all of this in the heavens care about me. He's beginning to wonder about his place in the world and the things that he's doing because he stopped and he's considered. I don't remember the last time I stopped and I considered. I mean, for him, it got dark. There wasn't wasn't a whole lot left to do. You know, he couldn't pull out his iPad and read. You know, it's dark. No place to charge it. A long time ago. So it got dark and they considered, and all of our conveniences and all of our technology, I'm wondering if it's robbing us of awe at this God. And these stories remind us that when God speaks, galaxies are flung into existence. That's how powerful the God we serve is. And we should be in awe of that. And as you begin to read, you see in this story how ordered it is. He wants his people to know that this God is intentional. This is not a story of creation where two false gods fight and the universe is flung into existence. Those exist. That's not this story. This story is intentional. A God who has a plan and who is organizing things. A God who is active in doing things. You go into Genesis 2 and he creates man. The images of him bending down and putting his hands in the dirt. A God who is intentional and active in his creation. That cares for it. All the way through this, he's evaluating and saying... It's good. It is going to serve the purpose for which I created it. This is the God of creation. This is the God of Abraham and of Jacob and of Isaac. This is the God whom all the Psalms are written about. And he does these things. Makes things that are good. Matter and time are his. He sanctifies time. Minutes and seconds were a thing that he made and controlled. I feel like minutes and seconds control me, but minutes and seconds are things that our God controls. They're his. What this God is doing is he is ordering chaos. At the beginning it says, The heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Everything that is, is formless and void. And God's hovering over it. I love that image. It's like a a picture of a bird. He's hovering over the chaos, and he says, I'm going to order this chaos. And I'm going to fill the void in the chaos with life. That's the God that you serve. That's the God of the Bible. The God who orders chaos 
and fills it with life and separates things. Which is why it's so stunning what happens in the New Testament. I, um, I agree with Eric. Things that you'll do for your family. I, I, I was a new father. I have a son named Gibson. He was very, very young. He was still in a crib. A new thing, a new father. And um, I don't know if you know this or not. Fathers don't adjust as well to parenthood as mothers do. I don't know why that is. Uh, the world shifts a little, and it takes me a year. It took me about two years to get my feet underneath me. Fathers just aren't very good at it for some reason. So uh, I, my wife, in the middle of the night, shakes me awake. Shakes me awake and says, you've got to get up. And I wake up out of a dead sleep, and I hear our dog, Bean. His full name is Sylvester McMonkey McBean. I hear Bean going nuts. He's losing his mind. Now, Bean was a warm runner. He's a very sweet dog, uh, but he's also the dumbest dog that I've ever met in my entire life. But he's going crazy like I've never heard him do before. He's losing his mind. And I, 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 I begin to panic. I'm, I'm confused and I'm disoriented. And my wife says to me, there's somebody in the house. And in that moment, something that I didn't know inside me was there. I roll over, I jump out of bed, and I I reach in the door, and I had a a gun. I pull the gun out, because it's Alabama, but we have guns. So I pull the gun out, and I I look to my wife, and I said to her, I I, I turn to her to tell her to stay there. And from somewhere on her side of the bed, she's produced a shotgun? I I don't... (laughs) She rolls us on the side and chambers around as she slides. I watch this round chamber as she slides the rack, because she's from Mississippi, and that's how they do. And, uh... I was like, hey, hey, you, you stay here. She's like, let's go. I'm like, no, you stay here. You stay here. Uh, I'm going to leave, and, and when anybody but me comes through this door, you shoot them with that gun that you have from somewhere. So I, I, I go out the door, and I shut the door behind me, and I'm sneaking down the hall, and I'm, I'm in panic. I hear Bean screaming. I, I yell for him to come. I go, Bean, come here. And he comes running, and he sits beside me, and he's, he's foaming at the mouth, and he's bristling. I've never seen him like this. And about that time, someone taps me on the shoulder. And I, I almost die because it was my wife, though. And she's like, hey, hey, shh, Gibson's asleep. I'm like, you've lost your mind. I almost shot myself in the foot. Go back to the room, bedroom. So she goes back to the bedroom, and I get to the edge of the corner. And I, I, I know that someone's there, and, I, and I, I say this out loud. I've called the police, which was a lie, I didn't. Uh, I've repented, I'm sorry. Um, Call the police, take what you want, and get out. As soon as I say that, I hear down the hall, through the kitchen, into the sunroom, the piano begin to play. Bong, 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 bong. And ten years of my life just flew off the end. I died inside. Because we've gone from someone who's trying to steal my TV to somebody wearing a clown mask. Right? I mean, for sure, if you announce you have a gun and someone plays a piano, they definitely have an axe and wearing a clown mask. That's just science. I panic, and I, I turn around the corner, and I begin to go down the hall, and, and, and I see down through the hall, down through the kitchen, I can see two beady eyes, and I'm terrified. And as I approach it, I see the raccoon jump down off of the piano, onto the piano bench, onto the floor, and go back out the dog door it came in. It was terrifying. 
I go running back to the bedroom. I throw open the door. Remember, my wife has a shotgun. And I drop to the floor and roll. <laughs> my wife looks at me and says something to me. She says a whole lot. What's wrong with you? And I went, hey, there's a raccoon. She's like, what are you going to do? I'm, I got no idea. Me and Bean go and patrol the house. And, and sure enough, the, the, the raccoon had gone out the way it had come, went out the way it had come in. And I'm laying there trying to get back to sleep, and I can't. Not just because of the adrenaline rush, though that was significant. I can't get back to sleep because I realize as I lay there that all of the things that I loved, wor- loved most in the world could be taken from me. What if that had been somebody? And I realized as I was laying there that so much of my life, I, I was trying to control the, the little bitty domain of creation that I've been placed in. That if I could just set things up right, if I could just make them go right, if I could get the right alarm system and the right dog, if I could do all of these things, then I could hang on to the things that I love. And I realized in that moment that that probably wasn't true. That I was just trying to hold together the chaos. And convincing myself that I would be okay if I could just protect my family. And it wasn't true. There's a God of creation who is in charge and sees things that I don't see and knows things that I don't know and says things that I don't say and speaks into our lives in ways that I can't speak. It's what's stunning when John says this. In John chapter 1, He's writing, and he says this. He opens his gospel. This is a man who's talked to Jesus, who's touched Jesus, who's smelled Jesus. He spent time with Jesus, and he begins to describe Jesus this way. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and it was, everything was made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. He speaks of Jesus using Genesis 1 language. He was there in the beginning. He is, we're talking about this kind of power was in this one who came and pursued us. This kind of authority of speaking was there at the beginning when all things were made, and this is the one who came and pursued you. This is the kind of power that you see in Jesus. Which is stunning because he had just watched him die. But he saw him rise again. He sees this kind of strength, and he says this, and Paul writes later, he says this, hey, listen, what you need to know is that you are a new creation. This God who came in power and spoke, who was the Word of God, He actually makes you new again. He calls you a new creation. Second Corinthians 5 says this. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The God who spoke us into existence, the Savior who was there at the beginning is the same one who comes, who dies and who raises again so that we can become a new creation to be made new. And he speaks life into our life. In the previous chapter, 2 Corinthians, it says this. 2 Corinthians 4, sorry. For God who said, light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The same God who spoke at the beginning to let there be light, spoke again in Jesus Christ. He speaks in our life. I wonder if our busyness, the chaos that we experience, 
I'm sure it's the same here as where I live. When you meet someone that you know and you say, how are you doing? And they always say the same thing. Busy. Busy, busy, busy. We all say, it's our default answer where I'm from. I don't know about here, but I'm sure. Matter, matter of fact, because I'm a bit contrarian, I, 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 like to, I like to just be difficult sometimes. I shouldn't be, but I am. Sometimes people will ask me, how are you doing? And for a season I would say, bored. I'm just so bored. I have so much extra time, I don't know what to do with it all. I'm thinking about taking up painting. You see the looks I would get. They don't even say to that. Because we're just saying busy. I wonder if our busy lives are really not so much the result of us not having enough minutes and seconds as, as it is the result of the chaos. That we're just standing in the middle of our lives trying to hold on to the different spokes as everything spins around us and we're just trying to hang on. And then the pastor comes and says, hey, you need to come to Bible study? And you think, great, one more thing for me to try to manage. And we stand in the center of our lives trying to hold it all together and we feel so busy because of the chaos around us and we're constantly trying to order these things. And Genesis 1 speaks to you and says, you are ill-equipped to be the center of your life. I think the reason that we feel the chaos is we're not equipped to handle the chaos of our lives. The reason it feels like it's spinning out of control is because you can't control it. And when we move ourselves out of the center of our life and place Christ in the center of our lives, and we are just one of the things that orbits around Him, the chaos seems to stop because the order is the way it should be and the way it's going to be in the end anyway. And our lives become a thing that centers around Christ, this God of creation who came and pursued us. He created us in his strength, but he comes in the apparent weakness of a child to create us anew. He made us in our strength and he pursues us in weakness so that we can be recreated to be his. So our life now is constant the constant act of moving ourselves out of the center so that the God of creation who came became flesh can be the center and occupy his rightful place and we can orbit our lives around him. And we find that we were created for rest. Isn't it interesting that man was created on the sixth day and he enters straight into the seventh day, which is rest? And we find that Christ is our rest. That we stop from the striving. We stop from the attempts to cover the shame. We stop from the attempts to, say that, to show that, we're, that we are actually enough. And we let Christ reign and we just rest in Him and what He's done. Our lives. Our lives take on the order they were intended. Christ comes in and He orders our passions. He orders our loves so that we can live the way that we he would have us to live. It's a process the Bible calls sanctification. It's learning to love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. Shaping us to be more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And our response, constant repentance for placing ourselves in the center. And glorifying Him because of Him, what He's done for us and who He is. This is the Christian life. Resting in what has been accomplished for us. Trusting that he has the power when we don't. Knowing that the chaos that we feel is because we are at the center and moving out so that Christ can reign in our lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that this is true. That you've spoken words that are real. 
that you have let us know what you were like and revealed yourself to us in a book. Your majesty and your creation are so wonderful and speak to your authority. May we see them. May we learn about you and study you and become so in love with your word that we fall more and more in love with Jesus Christ. You are king. Spirit, I ask that you work inside of us to shape us, mold us, to make us more like Jesus. Take the rocky places of our hearts that are resistant to the gospel and make it fertile ground so that joy and peace and patience, love and kindness, mercy may all grow. Do what only you can do and change us. Make us more like Jesus. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. The band plays. I want you to use this time, this song, to respond to whatever God is saying. If you need to grab somebody and talk to them, grab them and pull them aside and talk to them. I need to know more about Jesus. If you need to use this time to repent and say, Father, I have not placed Christ at the center. Forgive me. If you need to speak to someone and you don't have anybody to speak to, I'll be right here. You come down here and I'll talk to you. I'll pray with you. There's nothing, there's nothing so great that our God cannot put it back together. There's no place that you've been that if you come to Him, He won't love you with all that He is. He is that great. And He's working all things for good. If you need prayer, come and ask for it. If you need anything, Go to God. Stand what we sing. Let the King of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my song. You are good, good, oh, you are good, good, oh, you are good. Good. Oh, you are good, good, oh. Let the King of my heart be the wind inside my sails, the anchor in the waves, always my song. Let the King of my heart the fire inside my veins, the echo of my days, always my song. Let the King of my heart be the wind inside my 
in us as we go from this place, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 